Hey everyone, welcome to the Urban Robot Cat Podcast. I'm your host, Travis Likens. I'm Chris RWK. And I'm Corey from Strange Cat Toys. And we're here for episode 11. Lucky number 11. One more than 10. <laughs> Almost at a dozen. Look at that. that we fast. are working our way there. I mean, we have, you know, we've missed a couple of weeks here and there, but uh, I think we're pretty consistent. Um, so hopefully we can keep it rolling. 2020, here we come, right? Yeah. So we were, we were off a week last week, um, but uh, what, what have you been up to the past couple of weeks, Chris? Um, I've been getting my, uh, myself in gear. I've been uh, working on stuff for my uh, solo show. It's not over yet. It opens March 5th. So I've been working on that, and I've just been working on a bunch of other projects that I kind of have uh, taken on, because, of course, I decide to take on more and more projects and not relax. <laughs> Why not? Why not take on more? If you could just do, like, six more things, it'd be great. <laughs> I know, right? Well, there's seven days in a week, right? So if I, if I divide that, nah, I just, I, you know, as is that, in, with everything going on in 2018, 2019, I... um. I kind of slowed down in 2019, even though most people probably wouldn't realize it. But um, so I figured this year I just want to kind of go, you know, full uh, full boat again. And so um, protection. Yeah, exactly. Hey, what's the worst that happens? I saw like, you just did a, an underwear campaign. I did. With zero. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> The new collaborative stickers, yeah. Yeah, that's hilarious. I was going to say, I was like, I must have missed this uh, ad campaign. <laughs> I was going to say, somebody hacked into my computer and got some some footage of me. I don't know what <laughs> happened there. Now, um, you're talking about the uh, collaborative stickers that me and uh, Zero just had made. Um, it's got his character, PJ the Pigeon, in his in his in his his uh, tidy whiteies, and uh, him holding the robot mask as if he's kind of. Halloween costume and as uh, the robot, pretty cool. Yeah, I like it a lot. Thank you, thank you, appreciate it. And then uh, we did we did a bunch of hand hand drawn collabs too. That's actually something I've been doing a lot of. Uh, as paint is drying, I've just been working on stickers and just I don't know, just working on as much as I can again. I got to get back into that mindset. What about you, Corey? I'm trying to get all the stuff wrapped up before Chinese New Year. We just got our. Next toy release uh, out and sh- or shipped out before Chinese New Year. It's all finished. It's the Mossy figure with Mumbot. So nice. we hope to have those uh, ready for sale in maybe a week Shared or so. some sample photos with us, and everything looked like it came out really good. So uh, excited to see uh, it finally get out to the fans. Yeah, I'm super stoked. The quality is excellent. It looks almost... Well, it looks exactly like like the paint sample that she hand painted, and these are all hand painted. I think there was just spray mask for the eyes, but everything else is hand painted. Came out really good. Yeah, looked like uh, came out just like the one you'd showed me. She painted, so I would agree. Yeah, definitely really nice. Um, actually, I how see. I know we've talked about stuff like this before, but I don't think we ever covered how something's painted like that because I, I that that whole thing confuses the hell out of me. Well, Chris, there's there's somebody there that's just like you. <laughs> They don't sleep. No, so they, um, you know, it's, there's a combination of ways that things are painted. You know, pa- that paint is applied to a vinyl figure. Uh, one of them is like freehand, obviously, um, paint. Uh, then there's airbrushing. There's um, also um, pad printing, which is like a, a machine where they make like a stamp almost that puts it on there. Uh, then there's things called spray masks, which are where like the eyes, they could just block off just like the eye section and the rest of the figure isn't painted. So it's kind of like a, a stencil, kind of like something to cover all the rest of the figures so they only paint that section. So they don't have to like mask it off every time. So but so but how, so for something like that, I mean, there's there's a lot of curves, a lot of dents and details and all that stuff. So what we did to make it easier and like the factory will suggest this if it's a good factory. Um we did kind of the accents on the the model parts, so you can see like I don't know if you have the picture handy, but like mm-hmm. they're like the raised areas. So um, same thing with like the flowers and stuff like that. So most of the details in the sculpt, they just have to kind of paint in the lines. Oh, and, okay. And if you have a good factory, you know that's used to painting all the time, um, you usually get pretty good quality. That's pretty crazy because I mean, there's like so much. Some of these things have so much detail and so many like kind of curves. Like it's almost like you know you, you think it's painted like flat and then they mold it to the shape. 
brain. Can't wrap my brain around it. So, so imagine that, but then you're, you know, you're the, the people that work at the factory and you got to paint like a hundred of them and make them all look good. Yeah. <laughs> right. So with something, so you said, what's, you said pad printing? So pad, pad printing is like a process where they think of like a dunny. So when they, you know, they take like a shape, it almost ends up looking like a, almost like a sticker, right? It's like just boom, there it is. It matches exact to the vector. That's, that's a pad print. So it's like a stamp almost that they put on there. And that's how, that's how you get like super crisp detail for things that are super like vectorized and stuff like that. Okay. Like a, like a sponge stamp. Yeah. And I mean, that's used on all kinds of product, not just toys. Um, right. You know, a lot of different things that have labels and stuff like that on it um, would use that. Um, they could do it on vinyl toys. That's pretty awesome. Toys or anything, do it on any kind of material. I think um, even like Hot Wheels and stuff like that are pad printed. Um, so, I mean, they can do it with a lot of material. Usually limited to what, like four to eight colors? <clears throat> um, I mean, it really just depends on how much you want to pay, right? <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> it just adds more, it's almost like screen printing, right? It just adds more um, layers that they have to do. Um, so you're paying for all the different pads and then you're paying for the person to stand there and do it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just, it's crazy to think that there's so many different, you know, techniques in order to make this stuff well yeah because i think a lot of people think oh it's produced it's just you know like there's like a machine and it just like it's like 3d printing right it's like it just spits it out and it's done and it's not that <laughs> at all there's a lot of people in you know china that are hand painting quote unquote these figures still yeah same thing with like making the vinyl poles and you know they're they're pouring the material in the molds you know they're Putting them in the the rotocaster. Yeah, the, well, that yeah, and then the solvent to cool them down, and they pull them out by hand, and they have to trim all the excess around. Like it's a lot of hands-on stuff. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot more than most people really think of. You know, they everybody thinks production. We all think you know Henry Ford with the Model Ts rolling down the <laughs> down the factory line. But even in even in those times, and even now, there's still a good amount of manual labor that those folks have to do in assembly lines like that. You know, but these figures are just not that at all you know it's still a very manual process they just have the scale and the ability to do it in a, such a way that you know they can make it work on a mass process you know so more john henry than henry ford got it but when you get into the, like the pvc figures or like the injection molded figures that's when it's mostly machine and then yeah but the paint the painting's still those are hand painted yeah yeah so unless it's like you know like a muscle figure um for folks folks that folks that don't know like the vintage uh muscle line from mattel just like raw pvc plastic yeah just colored in a certain color um those are just injection that they still have to cut the flash and everything off of them so um there's still work that goes into it but um if they're being painted, more than likely somebody's there doing it, whether it's pad printing or whatever. There's somebody touching that thing to make it happen. And almost all those factories are in the same city, right? Like Duangong. Yeah, for the most part. All right. Stupid, ignorant question. Do you, is there going to be any issue with that whole new flu thing going on? Is it anywhere near where there's production? Is that going to slow down like production or shipping? I mean, in theory, it could. Yeah, I mean, Chinese New Year just started, so there's a three-week break anyways, but it definitely could. There's already like 16 or 17 deaths, which is crazy. Yeah, I know they I know they, they had the one case in um, uh, Washington. Yeah, the guy that traveled. Yeah. My wife was like, there's no chance it could be on like the packages they're shipping over here, right? And I was like, uh, I guess maybe, I don't know. <laughs> I would think it would die. I don't think it can, it can stay alive on just plastic. Corey's outside, like, spraying his boxes with Lysol. <laughs> yeah. He's turning his, his, his garage into a hazmat uh, decontamination center. And then I can see it now. Florida man. Yeah. Oh, God. Florida man we thought was imitating Dexter. Turns out <laughs> spreading coronavirus. I know. It was like, wasn't it named after the, the city they, it started in? Wuhan or something? Yeah, that's what they're going with, but it's the coronavirus. They're like, okay, we'll we'll start working on a vaccine now. It'll be ready in a year. Someone that works at Corona the beer is like, really, guys? <laughs> yeah. Killing us, yeah. So other than uh, working on Mossy, getting over here, um, I went and hit up a new tattoo artist to get a, a Robots Will Kill tattoo. So I got that what? scheduled coming up in like two weeks. Look at that. What? Yeah. His name is Billy Toller on Instagram. He's got really good work. That's awesome. Where's it? Where's he located? Uh, he's in South Tampa. Okay. Nice. 
I'm very excited to see this. Me too. I don't even have one. I don't know where I'm going to put it. I haven't decided that. Forehead. Forehead? <laughs> All right. We could do a vote. Or you could get like a small one and make it like a teardrop. There you go. <laughs> you you covered the juggalo already, right? The hatchet man that's covered already? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I can I can double cover it. I'm sure it could use another cover. <laughs> For all you kids listening at home, you have to listen a couple episodes ago and we talk about that. Yep. <laughs> Chris brings it up as often as possible. No, no, no. It's not my fault <laughs> that it happened. No. It's just it's the evolution of Corey. We're just following it, you know, as it goes. So <laughs> Absolutely. We've seen, we've seen some great pictures of Corey. We might have to put them on the Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> just so the, the listeners can get to know their host. My past was not kind to me. It wasn't kind to your hair, that's for sure. <laughs> Uh, they were all choices I made on my own. You know, I, I actually wanted to talk to you guys about this because I, I know I brought it up, you know, in, in a, a text amongst us. But I, I had a question regarding the whole how much of the artist gets lost between the original concept and the toy that gets made. Because you know, working with some you know people, you know, they they ask you for a, a sketch. And then that sketch goes to two other people that's making what you supposedly make. It's For me, it's a very weird disconnect. And I think that's one of the issues I always had with getting the robot made over the years. Because I felt like if I just handed somebody a sketch and then they 3D modeled it or sculpted it, and then they do the poles, they do the painting, do all that stuff, it removes me so far from it. How do you guys feel about that? Because I, I know it's like I'm, I'm probably looking at it from the artist aspect of it, but there's tons of artists who do it. So I don't know if it's just something I stubbornly have in my head. No, I think it's a it's it's a thing. I mean, it, there's folks that, uh, you know, they put out their piece and you look at it and you're like, that doesn't really look like what I thought it was going to, you know, or, you know, those kind of things. Um, but really it all comes down to is having a solid relationship between the artist, producer, sculptor, and factory. Um, being able to manage that process to where you are, everybody's happy and the decisions that are made are decisions that A, make the artist happy, B, work for the sculptor, and you know, C, work for the producer and the factory to make sure the thing is producible. Because you can sculpt things and then it's not even able to be made, right? <laughs> like, and, then, right yeah. and, and then that makes the figure look bad as well because then major compromises are made. And, you know, um, but that all comes down to having a good relationship between all people involved and um, when problems do arise, addressing them in a manner that allows the figure to be fixed, right? And making those decisions prior to the figure being molded. Because once you mold the figure, um, unless you're going to pay to retool the figure, it's going to be a pretty big disaster. And that's where you know people either come and say, timeline, I don't have enough time, I have to crunch it, and well, sorry, artist, you're out of luck, we're too far along, we got to make it. you know. Or they end up spending tons of money and then the figure's a humongous failure because they can't you know, make their money back. So it really just comes down to having that relationship, having that communication, and as a producer, not getting wrapped up in timelines and saying that you have to make the right decision for the artists so that their figure is conveying the message that they wanted to convey. That, that's my opinion on the matter. Yeah. I think it's, it's going to vary from company to company. You know, some people have timelines that they just need to hit and they're just going to make the decision without the artist. Or, you know, they're just so busy, you know, they've got so much going on that they, things move with the factory. Cause so the factory, you know, a lot of times when you're working in the factory, they're trying to get things done and they've got a schedule and they've got places they've got to fit it into. Right. So they're moving along and, you know, sometimes I'll email back and they're like, well, we're ready to roll. And it's like, well, we're not. And so then you get bumped and then you miss timelines, you know, and all this stuff. But you have to be able to put your foot down, you know. Hopefully you get everything nailed out before you even send the mold or the, the file to the factory or the sculpt or whatever. But I'm talking about like, so they, they send you the sample and you're like looking it over and they're like, well, we're ready to go. And you're like, no, well, we're not. We got some changes, you know. And well, can we just uh, do it at the end? You know, no, no, it's got to, we got to see it. We got to see the sample, you know, <laughs> like. Yeah. 
And, um, you know, factories, you know, they've got schedules too, though. I could see where somebody that maybe isn't, you know, maybe they got 15 projects going on and they're not managing it closely enough. The factory's ready to roll. They miss an email that says, hey, if we don't hear back from you by this date, we're going to assume it's approved. They're not paying attention. And that thing, the date rolls by and the factory's already moved on. I could see that happening too. Yeah. So it, it really just comes down to is a great relationship between all parties. And sometimes, you know, things don't work out or somebody's, you know, got a million things going on and they're not watching as closely as they could. And sometimes the artists, you know, they, they are okay with whatever that thing is. And maybe people just aren't as happy with it on the other end where they approved everything and they're like, this is great. And then everybody, people get it and they're like, well, you could have did this, you know? <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure there's the time when the artist just sends in their sketch and they're like, all right, just let me know when it's done. Yeah, that too. I'm sure. I don't know. I see. I think that's such a, I think it just kind of removes so much. Yeah. Well, like for me, when we do projects, um, I don't like to be a middleman. I don't want to like send info between like the sculptor, the factory, like I want the artist involved in it. So I get the artist involved in the chat with the 3d artist and with the, my guy at the factory if we need to. So that way it's like, we're both there together and having the conversation together and it's not me sending them information and maybe I missed something. Gotcha. Yeah, and also too, I think it depends on like Corey was saying earlier too. The artist, um, some artists are like, just send me like things and let me approve or disapprove, or I'll provide comments. And some people want to be super involved. I think getting the sculpt um, 100% correct is the main first key, and I think the artist needs to be hugely involved in that portion. Uh, but there's some like boring factory stuff that is less involved just how we're going to do this or how we're going to do that. And some artists don't care. They just want it to look right at the end, right? Where the seam's going to be, how the seam's going to be smoothed, you know, how we're going to fix, how we're going to put the ears on the thing or whatever. Some artists don't care about the mechanics. They just want it to look good at the end. The toy engineering part of it, I guess you would say. Right. So it really just depends on what the artist wants to be involved in and what they don't want to be in, at least in my experience. But I think in some you know, larger companies, maybe, you know, you turn in your designs and then a year later you get it back. And that's kind of what happens. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, usually if you're working with a small company, more than likely you're going to be involved pretty heavily, uh, mostly because I don't have like six people working for me. So <laughs> I'm going to need your help to get it right, you know? <laughs> also like what, you know, what I see versus the artists is totally different. One of the toys that we're making now, we had I had found a sculptor and we hired her on and she did the sculpt of their figure and I thought it looked great. And I was like, oh yeah, I think it looks awesome. It looks just like, you know, they're drawing and they're like, the artist did not like it and they were saying all these things I didn't like about it. And I said, well, it's your figure. I don't, you know, if you don't like it, then, you know, we can have this person try again. So they did another pass and they still didn't like it. So we just went and ended up hiring another sculptor and we ended up going with that sculpt and they were super happy with it. And sometimes what you have to do. Definitely interesting. I mean, it's just... But as far as it um, being like uh, removed, I mean, I get what you're saying, right? It's like, well, I didn't make this thing, but I'm going to sell it or I'm going to be putting my name on it or any of that kind of stuff. You know, the key there is if you're making 500 of something, we'll say, right? You know, maybe it's broken up over multiple colorways or additions or you're making a thousand of it or whatever you're making, right? At the end of the day, when you think of that thing, it needs to have the care and attention that you give to like a piece of artwork but at the end of the day it is still a like consumer product right it's not a painting right you, you get what i'm saying so there is some separate there is some separation and from that as a product itself so like it, it's to me i mean obviously they cost a lot more and there's a lot more work involved but they're you know they're a, they're a more expensive uh pen more in line with a print you know like you get what i'm saying like in a in a scale of products um, but there's still not the care and attention that's given to a painting. But it needs to represent your work, and it needs to be done well and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and I, I, I guess it goes back to that one talk we had a while ago about kind of it, it becoming product and, and why my question of, you know, calling it an art toy or calling it a toy, you know, whatever. I think by the mass production and the not-so-hands-on for the artist, you know, outside of the beginning stages, I think that's what kind of throws me for a loop too because that's why like I, I i ask you know is it okay to call it a toy you know compared to you know an art piece you know because for example you know um you know sculptors are gonna you know sculptors or artists are gonna make you know a a, a one piece like a, out of bronze or whatever you know and that's that's a sculpture 
you know, but they can cast from that. Mm-hmm. And then that would be more of a, an art piece rather than a toy. That's why I never understood kind of the, the term. So for like, if you're casting in bronze or, you know, like those kind of things, generally if you're only making, you're probably going to make like 10 or 15 or 20, maybe a hundred if you're huge. Right. Um, and people would say like, that's an art multiple. Right. And usually they're going to tag it with like assigned and numbered or some sort of certificate of authenticity, you know, something that adds quote unquote value to the thing over time. Whereas, the reason designer toys are called designer toys is because nobody really knew what to call it, right? It's a piece of plastic, right? And well, it's not art. Well, it's not a, you know, it's not really a sculpture. It's well, it's made out of plastic, so I guess it's a, a toy. That's the closest thing we've got, you know. It's just the process that it's made is the same as a yeah. toy. Yeah. But I mean, really, you know, some of these things aren't quote unquote articulated, so they're they're just like a statue, you know, like they're not even a toy in some cases. Mm. Um, but that's what they've been coined and it's stuck and that's what they're called forever. But essentially, I mean, they're, they're in some cases, small run art multiples when they're hand painted or, you know, like if somebody does customs, that's totally different than one that's made at a factory, in my opinion, as far as what you're marketing it as, how you're selling it. Um, but at the end of the day, it's, you know, it's a, it's another way for an artist to monetize their fan base in a way that is not necessarily selling a $500, $2,000 painting. You know, it's, it's a way to get a fan that maybe can't afford those items and gives them like a, a nice mid-tier. Yeah, but I mean, that's, that's see, because then I see other pieces, like, you know, with that said, but then I see other pieces that are like $200 or $150, whatever. Like, you know, we, we had been talking about some of that, some of the... Costs? No, 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 no. Um, the Disney Princess... Um, piece. The Mighty Jacks. That was like $250, wasn't it? Yeah, the Ariel one. Usually resin things are a little more expensive. It's also um, a foreign product, right? So it's not US-based. So uh, sometimes those tend to be more expensive. The pricing model, depending on how many they're making and all that kind of stuff, you know, that's what gets into the retail price that they're charging. But it really just kind of depends. I mean, it's part of it's what your fan base is able to support. Part of it's um, how many you're making and how does that correlate out to um, how much you're going to charge. It's, you know, you got your resale, your retail price, your wholesale price, your cost, that, you know, that it costs to make you. I mean, it really just kind of depends on how you make all those numbers work um, in order to, you know, make the product what its price point is. Because I can tell you that it, it probably doesn't cost, cause $300 to make a cause companion, but uh, his fan base is willing to support that price point. And um, he's worked many years at selling very expensive paintings. Um, and the average Joe can't afford that painting, but they can't afford to buy one, get a piece of cause with one of those, uh, those open edition figures, you know? And um, that's what the goal, in my opinion, of most designer toys. Where it kind of got a little blurry was in the like 2011, 12, 13, kind of standpoint, a lot of people started moving from I'm a fine artist that makes toys to a I'm a toy customizer that now produces toys. And so it kind of changed the model a little bit and and it kind of got a little more ambiguous, right? But most of the goals of designer toys in the early 2000s through late 2000s was I'm a painter, I'm a drawler, I'm a something. And I want to have another avenue in order to release product that somebody that can't buy my normal price point items can buy. Gotcha. I will, I will say that's probably true for the U.S. artists or North American artists. Um, when it comes to like China and Thailand and Korea and stuff like that, those people are definitely making a living at it. Um, and the, the, big, the bigger companies over there sign them on um, almost like music artists. So, you know, they'll sign a contract for X amount of designs for X amount of years, and then they're getting royalties off these, like, blind box series and other series and things like that, and they're going to big conventions, and they're selling out. It's much bigger over there. And that's kind of a relatively new market, right? A relatively new process for designer toys as well. Maybe, like, four or five years, yeah. Things have just changed recently, which kind of make it, you know, just a little different than it used to be as to what people are doing with it and all that. And I think also too, mm-hmm. I think we've talked about kind of the rise and fall of designer toys. Um, and as 
toys kind of came back from like the fall, um, there's been a lot of splintering of models and a lot of smaller producers have taken off and then in China and you know, in, in the, the Asian market, it's just kind of changed everything as far as what um, is being done. So, I mean, it's just the whole thing has changed and I think it's great because it's blossomed and it's now back to, you know, really strong sales for most people, uh, it seems like at least. And, um, you know, there's a lot more people involved these days and people keep making, so they must not be going completely bankrupt, right? <laughs> like. Would you say, do you think now's bigger than the last boom? I would say um, as far as quantity of designs, yes. Um, but I still don't see, I mean, some of those early designer toys, I mean, they were making like thousands of them. So as far as like quantity of designs it, and artists involved, bigger than it's ever been. Yeah. As far as edition size of individual figures, no, it's uh, it's much smaller now than it was, you know, 10, 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Do you think it'll ever get back to that? Or do you think people just kind of learn from their mistakes and want to, you know, play it safe and not go out of business on you know, three bad runs? No, no, I don't. I, I don't know. I think those uh, some of those Chinese uh, companies that are producing a lot of those blind box series, they've got to be producing a lot of those things. I, I think that because before it used to be you had to make what was it like five hundred thousand dollars to make a blind box series or something crazy like you needed to make a ton. Um, well, I mean to get to the price point, right? Like get down and, to that yeah. ten dollar price point or whatever. And I don't, I don't know if the sculpt stuff has gone down or the molds have gone down, but I've seen very, very small companies come out with blind box series. It, they're like in the $14 range, but like, there's no way they made that many. I don't know. And also too, some of those Chinese artists, um, some of those Chinese companies are actually like factories that are creating product, right? So they can sell sure. it even, you know, at a, their, their retail wholesale cost model is totally different than say you or I that are making toys. Um, from the states, and they don't have to necessarily right. ship. And there's, you know, their their cost models are totally different than ours. But you know, it's just a crazy uh, thing we all do to hopefully keep making cool product. And I mean, like you were saying, it is the artist. You know, it's not like your blood, sweat, and tears are on you know that individual toy, as in you didn't like sit there and paint it. But I think if the process is handled correctly you'll still see your blood, sweat, and tears mm -hmm. in those products because you helped get that figure to where it needed to be in order to look the way that you wanted it and convey the message that you were trying to convey. Gotcha. At least, I mean, because I don't create anything, right? Like, <laughs> I just kind of manage the whole process. And I feel like even when I see something, it's like, wow, we did this, you know? <laughs> like, And you still see your little individual pointers or like, hey, we should do it this way kind of things pop up throughout the product. And you're like, it wouldn't have got there without all the people along the way that helped make that happen. I mean, it's just, it, it, I get, you know, it's like a pet, not a pet peeve, but it's a, it's just something that sticks in my mind and just, you know, I just, I just wonder, you know, uh, thank you. Thank you for the, uh, the enlightenment. It, 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 it just makes me, you know, I, I guess it's just because I'm so used to just being so involved and, and just even like, you know, when I, when in the beginning of like, when I was, you know, wanted to get t-shirts made, like I went out, you know, got printing materials and printed them myself. You know, it was just like, I don't know. I guess I'm just stubborn. I don't know. <laughs> well, it's just, it, it's just, it's hard to let your character that you've developed over the years, you know, give it to somebody else and say, let's turn this into something. But again, that whole relationship I think is the, the key. Yeah. For, Chris, for a guy that doesn't have any toys out there, even like, like your own resin toys or anything, you've mm -hmm. done custom, like you've done customs and stuff. How did yeah. you get pulled into the designer toy scene? Like, I feel like you're very much in it, but I say, I say Rob, Rob, <laughs> knowing Rob, Rob, a shout out to Rob from suburban vinyl. My, my old co-host for the masses. Um, no, I just, it's it's funny over the years i mean just even because like a lot of the artists that that are in the the toy scene toy scene um we're kind of running in the same circles as like the sticker artists graffiti artists and and stuff like that they weren't necessarily you know either graffiti artists or street artists themselves but all right so what I think it goes back to is in the early 2000s, there was really no genre of street artist. It was kind of just, it was like almost like a, a loose contemporary artist 
title. And a lot of artists were almost like misplaced into this street art, urban art kind of genre. And it's a lot of people who either didn't do street art at all, but they're showing alongside people who did. So I think that kind of brought in a lot of different but similar scenes. So like the sticker guys, you know, started showing next to, you know, a contemporary artist who had did more of an illustration kind of style. And then that kind of brought in the toy guys because those were the guys who were getting toys made. You know, like, even like, when, like if I said to you, name two toys from the early 2000s, who, who's two, what would you say? Uh, the the Cause Companion and uh, we'll go with MCA. This is the two I got like the, off the top of my head. And then the Dunny, right? Okay. Well, I think I think also too the the Dunny platform helped pull a lot of people from all those different genres you mentioned together as well. Because Paul Paul that was the stuff Paul was into, you know, Paul Bundance, the guy who started Kid Robot. But go ahead, Corey. <laughs> uh, well, no, I was. Uh, I, I guess I can't really think. I guess Cause, yeah, and but but yeah, but Chris didn't have a Dunny. Like, there's tons of graffiti artists and street artists out there that have zero dealings with toys that's what i was interested in well it's i well let's so i was approached in probably 2006 or 7 when did when did kid robot like like change everything over and when they moved from new york to boulder yeah to colorado yeah yeah so it would have been like 2000 like probably 10 or somewhere in there like a 10 or 11 time frame when they okay. but they they saw the stores but they they moved the headquarters okay so a little bit before that they reached out to me about submitting some designs. So I designed, I did, you know, I, they sent me the template or whatever. And I did a couple of designs and then I didn't hear anything. And I reached out to them after like, I guess a couple of weeks or whatever. Um, and basically I just got a response basically saying that basically everybody was gone because they moved to Colorado. And, and the only person who was still there was like one or two people and they're going in like a completely different direction with whatever they're actually producing. And I was kind of like, I was kind of like when they stepped away from a lot of the graffiti and street art kind of mm -hmm. ones. And I, you know, I guess I just got kind of, I feel like you would have uh, fit in when they were doing the fat caps. Right. So like the, for the people that aren't listening, there's the Dunny and then there's the other kid robot platform called fat cap, which was like a little Dunny body with a spray, uh, like a fat cap, a cap spray cap. I don't know what I'm trying to say here as a head. I mean, it, it was funny because when the Kid Robot store opened in the city, I guess that was probably like around 2003, 2004, no, 2003. Uh, it was probably around 2004, somewhere in that time frame. Right. So, uh, somebody I know, you know, was there and my name came up and they're like, oh, you know, we would love to have him come by and, you know, and, and, you know, talk to him. And it's just like, you know, when I went by, that person wasn't there. So it just never kind of like, it just never, you know. It's bad timing. Yeah. When it, yeah. when it, when, as, as, you, as you'll, as you'll, you'll learn as you listen to this podcast and talk to me over these next few years, um, <laughs> you'll see Chris has what's called Chris Luck. So Chris Luck is where he'll, you know, something great will happen, but it never could fully happen. Or I go to a restaurant and I want one specific thing and they just ran out of it. So this is, this is a term that has been used for a really long time between my family, friends, and everybody. It's Chris Luck. So another example of Chris Luck would be like Chris uh, getting a, a solo show. But the opening is on the same night as somebody else's opening that's, you know, ten times bigger. So... It's still a win, but at the same time, it's kind of like, well, who's going to show up? It's it's the it's the dollar scratch off. I always win the dollar. I never win the, the thousand dollars. So this is what's this has just always been kind of a, 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 tre a trend that's gone through my whole life. So like, you know, they want they want me to design something. Done it. Send it. They move. <laughs> you know, and then that's just how it goes. And you know, exactly. And, and listen, I and that's just how it goes. And I don't I don't take. I, I, it's gotten. To the point where I just kind of just laugh it off. Yeah. And I mean, it's, uh, you know, sometimes it is just about that, that timing thing, you know? Yeah. And I mean, like back in the day, like in the early 2000s, when I like looked into getting the toy made, 3D printing wasn't a thing. 
You know, 3, 3D printers, you know, if you had a 3D printer, it cost you 20-something thousand dollars or whatever. So Yeah, the minimum, the minimum order quantity was probably, for just making a toy, was probably in the thousands. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, when I, you know, looked into doing it, and you had people who, between sculpting and the mold, this, that, and the next thing, it was like a $10,000 investment right off the bat. You know, and I was just like, I can't do this. You know, I got a family. I got a house. I got this, that, you know. So I just never really took it serious. And then as time's gone on, you've seen, you know, you've seen the prices of things change. Mm-hmm. Well, no, no, like we said before, the Internet made some of the stuff more accessible as well. Um, just finding people and how to get to things and, you know, being able to communicate. All that got a lot easier with as the Internet matured, right? Yeah. Um, but, you know, I've, I've heard this story, like, third hand, but <laughs> here it's a really good example of what you're talking about. Um, you know, some artists back in the early 2000s, they order all these toys, right? And they're like, where do I put them? And they put them in their apartment or wherever in New York. And they've just like, you go to their house and it's just, they're sitting in boxes and boxes and boxes. Oh, and, yeah. and everybody's just looking at them like, what the, you're crazy. And a lot of those people that did that are, you know, some of the biggest people that are doing this stuff now, you know? But at the time, it just seemed insane because what are you going to do with all this stuff? Nobody's going to buy this, right? <laughs> like, and that, and that, was a, that was a whole other thing. I mean, it even still happens to, to this day where, you know, if, if somebody is going to produce the toy for you, they're not paying you in cash. They're going to pay you in toys. And then you now have to sell them. Yep. So it's almost like a, it's a it's a win-lose kind of situation in, in certain ways. You know, it's like, yeah, I got this toy made, but now, you know, uh, Johnny, uh, you know, Johnny Toymaker, you know, gets get gets 250 of, of the 500. Now they're selling them and doing whatever they want with them. Now you have to compete with them to, to try and make anything. That's, um, that's why when we do like when we do pay out with, uh, with toys like that, um, we make sure that they get an exclusive colorway. Um, that that's the only place you can get it is through the artist's store. Right. But you, but that's, that's a newer thing. You know, I'm talking about, you know, back to back then, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, it, that is, is a newer idea and mindset, you know, the exclusivity and, and stuff. Basically, back then, if you wanted to try and make any kind of money off of them, you had to like hand paint them and do something completely different, where you could charge artist proof. Right. You 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 charge a hundred instead of fifty because you painted eyes on it. You painted googly eyes on it. <laughs> so who who invited you to your first toy show? To put a piece in or to go? Uh, to put a piece in. Like this is the. I want you to paint on this or whatever. Uh. You know, that, that I'm going to have to think about because I really haven't done too many. And I'm not really, uh, I don't want to say I'm not good at them, but my brain works a little bit differently. You know, all right, so if I, so, all right, for example, um, say I'm in a toy show where I have to take a cause figure and paint it and mm-hmm. make it something. Yep. <laughs> I can't just paint that gray to look like my robot and be like, it's my robot. <laughs> you know, it's like, cause, cause I'm, I listen, I, 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 I'll 100% admit it. And this is probably one of the reasons why I am reluctant to get toys made is I can't sculpt through the life of me. Mm-hmm. Once I start sculpting, my attention span goes to shit and I'm ready to draw stickers or I'm ready to work on a canvas when I should be sitting at a desk playing with sculpting and make it work. I, I just can't do it. That's like one of the major issues with a lot of these figures. You know, like I'll get something, I'll paint it. Sometimes it works out. Like for example, like with the can bot, like when I did the, the custom can bots, it looks like metal. So I painted it on it and it looks like there's just graffiti on it. So it makes sense. But somebody gives me some cutesy anime thing and I'm looking at it going, what the <laughs> hell am I doing with this? You know? <laughs> Sometimes I could pull it off. Sometimes I can't, and I'll, I'll be the first one to admit it. You know, I love I love the idea of it. I I fully appreciate the medium. I think it's amazing. I think what people do to them is incredible. Like, you know, in that one chat that we have, Corey, I, some of that stuff that those people are showing are just uh, that. That's why I made the comment of just put mine in a, in a dark corner <laughs> because 
I'm looking at this person and I'm just like, this person deserves that piece to be sold four times over, you know? And, and, and I I really can't remember the first thing I, I, you know what? It was probably a Dunny or a Money, most likely a Dunny. And I just kind of did what I usually would do on something and just kind of paint on a 3D object, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. It was. I don't remember where the show would have been. Um, it might have been actually out in California, but I don't think. See, like you know, you, you mentioned that. I don't think I get kind of associated with the toy people. You know, I mean, I'll I'll be one hundred percent honest. You know, there's a million and one events that I'm at, and you know, five points. You know, um, Comic Con, whatever. And there's toy people there that either a have no clue who I am, or or B, know who I am, and they just don't talk to me. And it is what it is. I, I, I'm not offended. But, you know, I, I do think, I'll be honest. <laughs> you guys know firsthand. The toy scene can be very, very finicky, very picky. Yep. <laughs> you know, from the artists to the companies to even the collectors. They can be very... Maybe not the collectors, more of the the artists. There, there seems to be a very high school hierarchy. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's a little clicky. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but that's like that's that's like most scenes. I'm yeah. gonna be honest, it's like most. Yeah. But I'm so you know I'm so freshman year to it that you know I'm just like, all right. So why doesn't this person work with that person? Why doesn't this company you know do this? I mean, listen, just talking to you guys in the past couple of months. I've learned a million and one things that literally makes me go, do we really want to make this figure? <laughs> you know, and, and it's, it's no jab at, at, at the, the, the collectors or the, or, the, or the listeners or anything like that. It's more of the, the artists and the producers and, and almost like... We have I don't, give so many hands in the pot versus well, just putting your right. piece in the gallery. Right, and I think that's part of it. I think it goes back to the production thing of it. You know, I'll be honest. I've seen people, you know, pull kind of dirty moves, you know, and and kind of just try to like, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, Not undercut, but just kind of, you know, they know somebody's making something and they kind of try to swoop in before and make their own. Yeah. You know, and... I mean, I think that comes down to the production of it. That comes down to the the the, the producers, and they're always wanting to make the money. And I, listen, I know a toy making a toy is not cheap, you know. And I guess that's why they want to make the money. But at the same time, you know, you're kind of putting the credibility of one the artist you're working with to the scene in general. I, I think you, a, a big problem with it is you're going to get a handful of producers that uh, have egos that need to be stroked and maybe wish they were an artist, you know, and they're trying to ride in with it. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, it's, it's, it's just like, you know, I could see that, but but I think it it just kind of dirties up the scene so much that it kind of, you know, I remember, I remember like talking with Mike Dye and, you know, he would be, you know, uh, like the forums, like the kid robot forums and all these like message boards. And like, it sounded like nobody did anything but shit talk each other or shit talk artists. And it was like, what the hell? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think I've seen some competition between artists and production companies and stuff too, that it makes it a little icky. And like I said, I mean, I get it. You know, if you're a company, you want to make money. I mean, you know, shit, uh, you know, McDonald's and, and, and Burger King, you know, McDonald's is trying to, you know, make a chicken sandwich faster than, you know, Popeye's, you know, and I get it, you know, because, and that's what I think is part of it is that it's such a production thing compared to like a art gallery where yes, you want to sell the piece, but it's not as much as a hustle as like a production person. Mm-hmm. Well, the, you know, at the end of the day, you're selling, if you're selling a piece, you're selling one thing, right? And right. as you're making a toy, you're maybe maybe selling 500 of them, you know? Right, right. It's it's more of the production thing, and I mean I get it to a point, but um, 
I don't know. So yeah, I think it was a money. That was the first thing, or a Donny that I painted years ago. You did a you did a lollygag in 2015. Yes, I did. <laughs> yes, I did. I actually really liked that. It didn't sell, but I liked that. It, I took the um, the little figure that came with it, and so the bigger figure, I'm the bigger figure. It's not like Louis Prima, the bigger figure. <laughs> um, another reference people could Google. Um, so. I took the bigger figure that came with it. I painted it as if it was a statue in the park. I put it on a base with like grass, and you know I, I did like graffiti all over the the statue part of it. And then I took the little person and I made it like they were buffing out graffiti. It looks really cool. I like it. I, I appreciate that. If you want it, I have it in a box right over here somewhere. I think I discovered you through one of your shows in my plastic heart. No, just um. One of my shows or one of the shows I was in? I, I think like a solo show. Like when did yeah. you start doing solo shows there? Well, and also the some of the group shows you did where you would be like the Robots Will Kill anniversary shows and whatnot. Um, yeah. I feel like that's when I really started catching your stuff regularly was when those those big shows where other people were doing versions of your character and stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's, that's what I'm thinking of, yeah. Yeah, so with, with my place of card, I... I was showing with them in like group shows. Uh, I don't remember what year that started, but I would, you know, and, and anytime I, sh I showed with them, you know, it sold, the piece sold, the piece sold. So after a certain, you know, amount of shows, you know, um, Vin from My Plastic Heart said to me, you know, would you want to do a show here, like a solo show or a two man show? I said, you know, I'm, I'm really game for either one. You know, I, I really appreciate it. So we kind of came up with the idea of kind of um, spreading out the, the fan base, you know, because one, I wasn't a, you know, quote unquote toy guy, but, um, I did have a following. So we decided to do, you know, hug life for Blumbang. Yep. So we did a two man show there that went really well. I mean, it was really, really, you know, it went really well, the show. And, and then after that, Vin asked me if I'd want to do, you know, if I had an idea for another show for the next year. And I said, well, what if we did like a group show? And I started curating a group show there. The, the, the first year went really, really well. Um, it was really big. We did, uh, we had uh, tote bags that we, so I, I reached out to like the whole sticker community and the street art community and whatever, and had people send stuff for these tote bags. And they had a limited edition of tote bags that had um, an image made just for the, the show, um, printed on both sides. And then the tote bags were filled with all kinds of stickers and prints and all that kind of stuff. And the first, you know, I, I forget, I think it might've been 30 people the first year, you know, first 30 people there got a tote bag. I pulled up and the line was down the block. I was like, what the hell is this? And my wife's like, that's for the show. And I'm like, no, it's not. And she's like, that's for the show. So I was like, oh shoot. Okay. So after that, it just started kind of picking up steam and people really were excited about it each year. And, um, you know, everybody was excited about the tote bags. You know, people waited online. When the I think it was the second year. I think it was the second year. There was people on there. The show opened. I think it's six. There was people online at like one. You know, wow. waiting. Yeah. So um, it was definitely awesome. You know, and and it was great too because it introduced my work to a different scene and introduced the store and gallery to a completely different scene. You know, like I had people tell me, you know, how excited they were because they never even heard of it. And now they know that that's there and they can go and, and check it out. So that was cool. I always appreciated that, like having the cross promotion. 2018, uh, we did the show again. It went really, really well. 2019, um, just with everything going on, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't pull it off. So we're going to do it 2020. We're going to do another one. And that'll be the night. That'll be the 19th anniversary of Robots Will Kill. So we'll have fun. But it's it's a lot of work because people don't realize that, you know, like, you know, the 2018 show, we had over 50 artists, you know. And if you know the space, it's not that big of a space. Yeah. So, you know, we had over 50 artists sending in work. So you got to keep track of all the work. Then I had, I really could not keep count of how many envelopes i got for the bags i mean there was hundreds 
you know, so there's me, my wife, and my stepson opening all these envelopes, putting one sticker in each bag, one print in each bag, doing all that stuff. It's a lot of work. Yeah, definitely. You know, but but I loved it. You know, I still, like I said, we're going to do it in 2020. You know, so you can uh, you can hit Corey and I up. We'll we'll do our version. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> also need some stickers. <laughs> please, please do. Please. Do. Still working on my ZBrush kinks. There you go. <laughs> well, that that was the thing is like a lot of people, a lot of the artists were like, "Well, I'm supposed to do a robots will kill piece." I'm like, "No, you do whatever you want." I'm like, "I don't want to restrict you," because that was one thing I've always noticed with with art shows. Once there's a very specific theme, it really restricts the selling. You know, yeah. when you're in a show that's you know GI Joe themed, cool. How many people are going to buy a $500 canvas? G.I. Joe related. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not that many. So whenever I did shows, I always told the artists, it's free reign. You know, you do whatever you do. I want people to know you and your work. That's the most important. So, so yeah, I think it was a, a dunny that I painted first. Okay. <laughs> I have no clue. I have no clue. Uh, it, co- it comes yeah. again. The kid robot brings everybody in. That's yeah. what I, I keep hearing. Yeah, I mean, like, you just go back and look at that roster, even from, like, Dunny Series 1, and you're like, holy crap, look at these people that were in it. Like, Hucky, and then Tristan Eaton obviously designed the, the Dunny, right? Sket 1, uh, Kozik, which, you know, that was an older artist that was getting pulled in. Ewok, right? So Ewok 1. And then Revolt, let's see, Shane Jessup, Super DX, NYC Lace, Pursue. I mean, it's just crazy the names of you know that were involved in that early Dunny series and where their careers went after that. You know, that's what's cool is like most of the artists are still doing stuff. Yeah, Paul Bunnins has a good eye for for good artists, and that's why he didn't pick me. <laughs> Way to go, Court. Thanks. Maybe Jeez. you can get a janky now. Yeah, I got a, a janky. So, so can uh, because I am not smart on this stuff. So janky is. What exactly? That's the new platform figure. I guess not new now. It's like going on three years old uh, from Super Plastic. And that's a company that was started up by Paul Budnitz and Hucky. Now, and those are the originators from Kid Robot. Well, Paul, Paul's the originator. Huck, Huck worked at the store originally and then became one of their flagship artists. So he started this. They started this new venture because they wanted to bring it back to the original form because he sold off Kid Robot, or what exactly happened I don't know there? if they really explained. I, I think Paul just decided he wanted to get back in it, and he hit up Huck. Yeah, I think he just wanted to make toys, and Huck had met, mentioned, you know, said, hey, I'm going to shut down my studio because you know, I'm just not able to make it here in San Francisco, um, you know, making these toys. And I think it was just kind of a timing thing. Maybe Paul was like, you know, I've been thinking about doing this thing and saw that e- saw that message or whatever. And then they just got together, it seemed like, based on kind of what I've seen in interviews and different things, that kind of seems like what uh, kind of transpired there. So the opposite. So they had the right timing. I didn't. Got it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You should, uh, should have been available. I was available. <laughs> I'm sure you saw this. They did a Kickstarter to kind of start up the company that, like, went nuts. The first one raised, like, half a million, right? Like, but no, it's uh, it's been super successful. People seem to still be into the figure. Um, I mean, they keep releasing things, and they keep seem to be selling. <laughs> um, it's interesting to see where it's going to go because uh, they've started this interesting um, marketing campaign where they've created like avatars for the characters that are like um, social media avatars where advertising and different things happen. Um, utilizing the characters, it's like three D models of the characters. I don't know. It's interesting. I don't know where that's going, but. <laughs> we'll see. They're like 3D versions of artists that they made up. And then like there's the 3D version of Janky and then Googiemon. And I feel like Janky is Paul Budnitz and then Googiemon is Hucky. And they're like their their personas. And then like random companies will pay for them to be like social media uh, advertising. I, I don't know <laughs> if I believe that it's paid social media advertising because... Instagram gives you that option to market as paid advertising. It's never marked that way. And I never see the advertiser post about it. It's just on this true. plastic thing. So I, th- I think it's more of a hoax than anything. It could be. 
You hear it here first. Corey, Corey made the accusation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like that's an guess. accusation. <laughs> it's funny, but I don't think they're like seriously getting sponsored with Louis Vuitton, you know? Otherwise, you'd see Louis Vuitton you posting know the, it. The only reason that I kind of think there's a potential that Louis Vuitton might be doing something with this is that they have greatly opened their, um, most of these like major designer brands have greatly opened their um, people that they're willing to collaborate with. I mean, 10 years ago, you didn't see a brand like Supreme, obviously working with places like Louis Vuitton. Um, maybe they're thinking there's a way they can tap into a market of that hype kind of thing. But yeah, I would agree. This seems kind of far-fetched at this point that they'd be all working together, but you never know. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, you, there's tons of, tons of brands that work with artists now. So who knows? I mean, you just saw the whole Adidas quicks thing. Yeah. So anything's yeah. possible. It'll be interesting to see what uh, comes out of that. You know, images look pretty cool. So we'll see if it's just like shirts or if it's shoes, track suits. What is it? You know, it'll be cool to see where it goes. Yeah, and that's what I was wondering. I wonder if it's going to be like a region thing. Like I wonder if it's nationwide, U.S. or just Philippines. Yeah, because there's, there's also that too, right? Like even in, um, they do some localized stuff here in the States. So like artists and you know, like Chicago will get a deal. They'll release shirts at that yeah. store or whatever, or New York or, you know, different things. So it'll be interesting mm -hmm. to see what kind of comes about um, based on the post that I saw from Quicks. It sounds like it's got some legs because it said over the next few years. So um, right. hopefully that means there's multiple things coming out over the next uh, series of years. So um, yeah, good for it's him. great for him. Really cool to see. Congratulations. Um, he's, you know, one of those guys that. uh He's been hustling pretty hard for the past few years, and it's great to see that maybe he's taking the next step here. So, But uh, one thing I wanted to talk about this week, um, it is that time of the year again when Powwow starts to kick off. So um, it's the 10th anniversary for Powwow um, out in uh, Hawaii. Oh, I thought it was going to be Powwow Cincinnati. No, 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 no. I'm not the, the person posting it, but <laughs> <laughs> no, but no, they're doing uh, the 10th year out there in Hawaii. I've, I've attended the event. It's a lot of fun. Um, they get a lot of good people. This year, it looks like Tris Neaton, Hush, Tokidoki, Jay Howell, Alex Party, and then it says, and more will be attending. Um, and uh, it looks like they're doing some really cool stuff. I know a lot of artists that I uh, follow and know are doing work with Thankspace uh, for that uh, show that they're due out there every year. Um, so it's going to be, it, it's just a fun event. They, they, they make like a little, um, kind of like a week of it. I mean, it's from this year, it's from February 7th to the 15th. So like every night there's artist talks or cookouts or, you know, like um, they had like break dancing one night when I was there, like people came in and did it. I mean, they, they just do a good job of pulling all that stuff together and creating like a little festival around the artist and kind of showcasing what they're doing. So wanted to toss it out there. Are you going back? I would love to go back. Um, it just happened that I was traveling there for something else. Um, it just kind of lined up the year that I went. Um, but I would like to go. Um, it's just so expensive to go to Hawaii and stay there. So, <laughs> like, but it was uh, wonderful to experience it. I mean, they do these all over the, you know, all over the states as well. So um, I'm sure Worcester <laughs> and uh, Long Beach and different places will be doing theirs in 2020 as well. But I just saw that they were kicking off in Hawaii for the 10th year anniversary. Um, so it's kind of cool that it's crazy to think it's been going on that long, to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah, I saw Alex Pardee was posting about it, and I was like, oh, shit, he's doing another wall. It's been a minute since he's done much graffiti. Yeah. Well, let's let just, let it, it's a mural. It's not graffiti. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> sorry. Graffiti would be illegal. It's just like when we're talking toy talk and you don't understand or we're, you know, you say the wrong thing and call it a toy and not an art okay. toy. It's all good. It's all good. When I was out there, they'd actually brought uh, Tara McPherson, and she did her first large-scale mural like that. Um, so that was kind of cool to watch her working for a little bit. Um, it was right next to a brewery, so I looked at it. I'd go in for a little while, come back out, look at it again. I think while she was making progress on it. So that was kind of a cool uh, to see somebody work in like a different uh, medium like that or a different process, I guess. Yeah. It's kind of cool. I would imagine so. Woe's probably going to be out there. Yeah, he's usually out there doing something, going home for you know business, family, and whatnot too. So it's good for him. <laughs> uh, all those powwow events are fun. Um, I was, I was uh, lucky enough to do. Uh, I, I say it wrong every time. The Worcester one, I think, is two years ago. Yeah, not last year, the year before. 
it's always a good time. I mean, it's it's a it's amazing how well of an oiled machine it is. Like with all the events that they do and all the things going on and all the mapped out everything, it's 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 impressive. Yeah, because you think of it as just here's a whole bunch of people painting murals, but there's so much more to it. Even like the little street market they had one night out there at Powwow, Hawaii. Um, it's just like all these little vendors, you know, that had like all these different little things. And it's like, most of it was companies in Hawaii, right? Like, cause most people aren't traveling over to set up a booth, you know, and they just had all this stuff and just like cool little things that I'd, you know, not seen before. And I actually met a bunch of artists I'd never met before. I met a bunch of companies that were making cool little products and stuff. Um, so it was cool. I mean, it was just a very interesting little thing to see. Um, when you just thought you were going to see people painting murals, you know? Yeah, well, it's crazy, too, because people don't realize what goes into it for the um, the organizers and for what they do for the artists. Because I'll tell you, I got there, you know, they handed me a T-shirt, they handed me a hat, they handed me a bag full of every kind of supply you could think of as far as, like, snacks, sunscreen, uh, baby wipes, like anything that you could use, you know, when you're at the... Yeah, it's incredible. I mean, um, you know, and then they give you a book with like all these coupons that you can go to the local stores and use them. And it's, you know, it's like I said, it's it's amazingly organized and it's, it's it's nice to see. It's not just like you said, it's not. Listen, I come from I come from the mindset of, you know, you show up at an event and they basically point out a space and they're like you're painting there, you know, and that was it. You know, like you, you were lucky if you had water. So to actually go to these events and like have all this stuff ready, you know, it's almost like I'm like, what do you mean? I could take this? I could, I could have this? I'm like, yeah. You sure? <laughs> it's like, do I have to pay you for that? No. Do you have any uh, mural fest coming up this year? No, um, no, I don't think so. I don't think I have anything planned yet. But here's the thing: a lot of these, a lot of the smaller festivals, you get like an an email like a month before. Sure, or they're still trying to get funding and everything, and yeah, and I mean, in New York, it's kind of difficult because a lot of the walls that you know people did paint for years, all of a sudden you found out that the main, uh, the building was sold, or the building's getting torn down, or something's happening because of you know everything changing so much in New York. I mean, there's one event, um, Welling, uh, Wellington Court, uh, Welling, Welling Court. I keep saying it wrong, Welling Court. Um, that we paint every year and every year because the area was becoming more and more popular there'd be less and less walls and it was just kind of crazy it's like so now you know say you had you know space for 50 artists now you have space for 35 artists you right. know so like so it's always kind of like a little bit different here in new york i mean and and, and getting in the organization to get like you know so many walls together for a one day event or a weekend event is just not easy right that's why like you know some places like up in massachusetts you know where you have you know you know an area that they're trying to revitalize or they have like you know tons of factories or whatever it's a lot easier in certain ways you know the guy who the guy whose building gets hit with graffiti all the time you know is going to say sure paint a mural over it i have no problem any plans for Art Basel this year? For 2020? Um, you got a long I, time. I got a long time. I, I could, uh, could save up my pennies. Actually, this year I might try and make it down. I would love to. It's just the past two years I had to use basically all my sick days because right. of like family stuff going on. And then, you know, the, the cost of certain things. I mean, hotels in that area are just insane. Uh, I am. You know. Yeah. I mean, then that's not even during Basel. So... Um, it gets tricky for me. For me, I don't want to go down there and have to like look for walls. Like I'd want to go down with the walls planned out or a show planned out. You know, because right. then you know, like you have a reason to go there. You're not just wandering around like, hey, you guys got a spray can? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, I'll be, I'll be down there with the bus, and I'm debating on just put an air mattress in the bus. So I'll get I'll get a queen if you come down and we can share it. Yeah, we go. I'll sleep in the front seat. We'll record live. We'll drive around. There's your purpose <laughs> for the podcast. Can we, can we though, can we get the, the, the ice cream man music if we have it in the bus as we drive around? Yeah, like of course. People's attention, they'll come over and they'll be like, oh, no, we're not selling ice cream. We're going to interview you. Yep. <laughs>
Okay, we've been talking for a while, guys, so let's go ahead and wrap this episode up. Chris, if you want to tell them where they can uh, find you on the old internet. Uh, best thing would be at ChrisRWK or at RobotsWillKill. And Corey? Uh, and all the social medias, it's StrangeCatToys and StrangeCatToys.com. And I am Travis Likens. You can find me at UVDToys on all social media or at UVDToys.com. And we got to take a second to pay the bills here, and we got to say thank you again to StickerFied. They have made some wonderful stickers for us, and they want to do the same for you. So go check them out, stickerfied.com, or you can check out No Love City. They're a streetwear brand, been doing it since 2007, and uh, they're going to have some cool stuff coming up with us, and we'll be excited to share that with you when it's ready. And if you're a listener out there that has a comment or question that you want us to read on air, make sure to send it over to urbanrobotcat at gmail.com, and we'll uh, maybe give you a shout out here on the old uh, podcast. But this has been the Urban Robot Cat podcast, the show about art and people who make it.